Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning out at Midlothian. Good to have you joining us today. Uh, for those of you out at Midlothian, we've just finished our time of worship, just like you have, and uh, we've been singing about grace this morning, haven't we? And, uh, you know, the songs don't sneak up on me. I, I know by Monday what we're singing, okay? <laughs> so, you know, I know when I walk in here what we're going to be singing today, but, you know, as we sung this morning, the songs kind of snuck up on me. And, and that word grace, you know, that, that's just such a common word in church, isn't it? And, and we throw it around a lot, and, and, and I, I think it means a lot to us, right? I mean, we know what that is, we, we know what it means. And uh, when we use grace, normally where we're, where we're running to in that word is we're, we're thinking about our salvation, right? Wretched man that I am, a sinner that I am, saved from, from death to life, saved from hell to heaven, and, and, then, and then we think, well, you know, I, 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 need to, I need to think about grace every day, right? We're supposed to be thankful for grace. I mean, Dale just guided us in that, about being thankful and depending upon that grace. And, but then sometimes you can hear that and go, yeah, I, I know, I know, I, I, I got it. I, I've been saved. Man, thank, thank you, Lord, for the grace. But I, I think the thought I was overwhelmed with just a moment ago is, is what it means to cling to that grace and hold on to that grace Every day and in every moment that we're with the Lord. Have you ever thought about the fact you've never uttered a prayer that you deserve to utter? I mean, you wouldn't think, I need God's grace when I ask for wisdom. I'm making a decision this week. Lord, would you, would you give me the knowledge? Would you help me to make the right decision? You wouldn't think of a prayer request like that as needing of grace, would you? I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I want what God wants for me. I want his, his wisdom as I make this decision. I, but you know, when I'm asking for God to give me wisdom, sometimes I'm not completely acknowledging how much of his wisdom I've ignored. How negligent I've been with his word to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to obey it. He, he gives me wisdom for everything I need in life. And, and then we do what? We ignore it. And then we say... God, give me, give me wisdom. Hey, hey, Lord, would you, would you give me health? Would you give me strength? Would you help me in this moment? And, and we ignore maybe all the places that we've been disobedient that, that brings weakness, that brings fear, that, that brings anxiety. I mean, because if there's anxiety, sin's related around that. I'm not necessarily saying it's your sin, but all in and around that. You see, every request out of our mouth is given against a backdrop of our sin. We praise God for his faithfulness, rarely acknowledging how unfaithful we can be. How unfaithful we can be to God, how unfaithful we can be to each other. I mean, every word out of our mouth before God has the backdrop of our, of our sin, has the backdrop of our unworthiness, has the backdrop, as the song said, oh, wretched man that I am. And, and yet I offer up these requests. You know, quite often when we're asking something for each other, we're kind of planning out in our mind why we have the right to ask that, right? We, we build the case for why you should respond to, to what I'm asking. Do you realize you can never build the case before God of why he should listen to you? You can never build a case before God. Lord, Lord, this prayer request, my 25 prayer request, Lord, anything I'm about to utter in these next few moments, you can't build the case for God. This is why I deserve your ear right now. 
God, this is why I, I, God, I need your attention. Focus on me, Lord. Do you realize nothing ever leaves our mouth before God that we deserve? All we have is grace. All, All we have is his unmerited. I don't deserve for you to listen to me, but you do. I don't deserve your attention, but you give it. I'm going to ask you for wisdom while I've ignored your wisdom and been disobedient to your wisdom. I'm going to ask for you to provide for my needs while I've been unfaithful and not always a good steward of the overwhelming abundance with which you've provided. God, I'm going to ask for your encouragement while I spend so much of my life focusing on death, focusing on the world, focusing on things that are are temporary. I mean, it just nothing... And I'm going way into my sermon right now. I'm sorry. Nothing ever leaves our mouth that we deserve his ear. I didn't plan on quoting it this morning, but Psalm 116 verses 1 and 2 says something along the lines of, Lord, you you bend down. That's grace, isn't it? God would literally bend down to listen to you. You bend down and and listen to me. I love you because you hear my prayers. That's grace. You know, gosh, if I can somehow now segue back to what I'm supposed to be talking about today. I mean, the whole promise, honor me and I'll honor you. What, I'm going to do something and now, God, you owe me? Hey, God, I came to church this morning, so, you know, pony up, Lord. Hey, Lord, I, I put something in the plate, you know. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Hey, Lord, I tried to, I tried to be a good person. Folks, the, it's grace that God even gives a promise like that, that we're somehow going to measure what we've done. And, and, and he doesn't owe us honor. He doesn't owe you and me a chance to have a life that has significance and, and value to that. All we have, all we have is grace. You know, I was thinking when Dale was leading us a moment ago, I, don't, I mean, I'm not quoting him, I don't remember his exact words, but he said, you know, where, where today do you need Grace. Where, where today do you need that? And again, I, I guess that's what kind of started me down this track because I, I think when we hear the phrase, where do I need grace, we think of salvation, right? Folks, we need, we need grace. We need God's grace for anything we're thinking, anything we want to ask, anywhere we want him to move. We need his grace because we have no right to ask for that. There's nothing about me or that environment that demands, God, you need to show up and do this. It's his grace. So why don't we, why don't we take a minute now and, and kind of rethink what we were just doing there and let, let's ask God for his grace. And, and when I say that, I, I'm not asking you to think about salvation this morning unless you're not sure that you're going to heaven, unless you're not sure that you live in the center of God's forgiveness 
And if you're in a place where you think you deserve for God to hear you and respond to you, then you've not interacted with the cross. You don't understand the cross. You might be a wonderful church person. You might be a wonderful religious person, but you'll die and go to hell if you've never yet come to that place of realizing, oh, I have nothing to bring before God. I have nothing to offer God. I have no reason. Nothing I've done this week demands that he stop and focus on me. And yet he offers that. So instead of saying, where do you need God's grace this week? Here's what I want you to think about. Where do you need God to move this week? Is it healing? Is it wisdom? Is it strength? Is it financial provision? Is it to do something in, in a certain relationship? Is it where, where do you need God to move into work this week? Where do you need to show up and just be God in your life? Now, what I want to do is just take a few moments here out, out, out there at the theater and, and just stop and let's ask God to do that, okay? But as we ask him, let's realize that we ask against an entire backdrop of our sinfulness and unfaithfulness before him. And that there's been places for the very things we're asking for that we have ignored and been unfaithful and not been good stewards of all that he's provided that we wouldn't even have to be asking for this. So let's just take a moment. I'm, I'm going to allow for a moment of silence. I can't pray your prayer. I don't know where you need God to show up this week. But, but let, let's, just, let's just take a moment and, and ask God to show up in that area. And let, let's realize that, that grace, what Christ has done for you, what he's done for me on the cross, is the only reason that we can ask for this. And because of grace, as we bow our heads and pray... God will, it says in Psalm 116 that he'll bend down to bring his ear close to our mouth and hear what you're saying. David says, I don't even care what the answer is. The fact you would do that, I love you, Lord. And I will pray as long as I have breath. The thought that God would bend down his ear to my mouth. That's grace. You pray. I'll close this in a moment. Lord, I don't, I don't know what every one of us in here needs or out at the theater in Midlothian. But you do. You, you know where every person in here just said, boy, I really need you to show up in this spot this week, Lord. You, you know 
that place in our life. You hear and, and you care. And you don't care because of how good we lived the last seven days. You don't care because we're sitting here this morning. Lord, I'm sorry that I, I sometimes carry myself probably that you should care what I'm thinking and feeling. Lord, I would imagine a sin that is rampant in this room is that we feel we've done something that we deserve your answers. We deserve you to move. Lord, if we're being honest with ourselves, if I'm being honest with myself, I, I don't know why you listen. I've never asked for you for anything that did not have an entire backdrop of my sinfulness and unfaithfulness. And yet you love and you forgive and you show your faithfulness over and over and over and over. There's no way I can measure the grace, that height, that depth, that breadth of your love. Even understanding the cross, even looking to the cross, I, I don't know why you listen. Probably none of us in this room would listen to somebody that had failed as much as we have. We wouldn't listen. We wouldn't. We would not listen to ourselves. How great is your grace. And I can cling to it. I can count on it. I can depend upon it. And I, and I should. Each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we ask for your grace. Amen. Amen. Okay. It's 9.01. I've used 15 minutes. <laughs> Here we go. Let's see what we can get accomplished this morning. Uh, I don't know how many of you this past uh, Sunday night, already a week ago, maybe saw or knew that the SNL, Saturday Night Live, had their, their 40th anniversary. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen an anniversary show like that on TV. They had, I guess, literally, the screen was hundreds of guests. Hundreds of people were there as a, a, a guest. It was like a three-and-a-half-hour program. I, I didn't watch three-and-a-half hours. I think I watched 30 or 40 minutes of it. But uh, in, in that time uh, that I was watching, that, that 30, 40-minute segment or so there, uh, Jack Nicholson came out and, and had, did, did a little piece. And it appears that he had the assignment of, okay, go out there and explain the culture, explain the environment in, in which... SNL was born, that, that SNL started in, in 1975. And, and so he comes out and he's talking about, you know, Nixon and Watergate and Vietnam and some of the things that had been going on leading up to 75. And then he makes this comment, it's not a word for word quote, but he, he makes the comment that in 1975, America reached its lowest ever in its respect for authority. You know, and, and as he said that, I thought to myself, and that's probably what made SNL so popular. Because if, if you ever watched SNL, you know they, they don't respect anything. <laughs> they show disrespect for everyone. They show disrespect for, for everything. I mean, that's what their comedic sketches are, are built on, is, is just a disrespect for everything in, in society. 
And, and so they capitalized on that mood. But, but I thought of him saying that, that in 1975, we reached that all-time low. And I thought to myself, well, boy, we have kept digging, haven't we? I mean, we have not slowed down. We have not backed up. We, we have continued to dig to, to new lows in, in our, our respect for authority, our respect really for anything out there. And, and, you know, as I thought about that, some of you may remember, maybe you don't remember, I started this series off by saying, I think this is the most important series I've ever preached because of where I think our, our culture is. I, I think, I believe, it's an opinion, you don't have to accept it, I believe we are hemorrhaging honor. We're not a society that honors. Now, I know you want to say, that. that's not true. We honor our, our military or we honor... Th- Yes, there are these moments, there are these events. You know, I, I think what, what Nicholson was saying is that we're trending. That would be today's word, right? That in, ours, in, in society in 75, we were trending toward disrespect. Today, I would say we've reached the tipping point. We're not trending toward disrespect, we've arrived. Our, our natural reaction to others our natural reaction to institutions, to organizations, our natural reaction to most anything is disrespect, uh, it's disgruntlement. What we honor is ourselves. I, I honor my thoughts, I honor my feelings, and anything that runs counter to that gets my rage. Gets, gets my wrath, gets my, my disrespect. Again, not necessarily saying that you as an individual, you're doing that, but, but, but folks, I, I, I believe, it's an opinion, that's what we are as Americans. That's our, that's our DNA, that's our, our first step. God loves honor. I'm not just saying God loves when we honor Him, and He does. I'm just saying the character quality, God loves honor. That's a big deal to him. So, so it's not going to be okay when we as a nation, when, when we as individuals don't honor. It's not easy to honor. And, and our culture actually supports you not honoring. And, and so when I say this is the most important series I think we've ever preached, I think part of it is a, a problem that we're dealing with in our culture. There's another part where, where you and I, as God's people, we have this tremendous opportunity to engage a promise, honor me and I'll honor you. But do you realize you and I don't live in a culture that is going to help us, that is going to encourage us to honor I think you could go back to the 50s, to the 40s, and honor even for lost, even for unbelievers, was a natural reaction. Now, dishonor, disrespect is a natural for the believer. We've got to realize, hey, live in a culture where nothing about where I live, what I'm encouraged by, what is going on around me, is going to help me engage God in in this incredible promise that he's, he's giving to me. Honor me, and I'll honor you. Now, we've said in this series, there's two ways we can honor the Lord. One is to honor the things he says to honor. That's where we've looked at honoring life, honoring authority, uh, honoring marriage, honoring family. We honor what he says to honor. Uh, another way to engage God in that, in that promise is to honor him in the way that he says to honor him. We looked at that last week, right? We honor him with our body. We honor him with our our decisions, and, and then one of my favorite ones, we, we honor him with everything. 
What, what an incredible thing. You and I can honor the Lord in anything and everything we do. From the big things, my, my work, my school, my sport, to little things, running errands, paying bills, helping somebody out, everything we do. Because everything we do, we're serving who? Yeah, okay, let's try it one more time because I know y'all know the answer. In everything we do, we're serving God. Man, remember what I said? We're nev- we should never be un- unmotivated. We should never be demotivated again because we're always serving him. And he's always worthy of it. And, and so we, we look at this. And, and today I want to come to another area. Next week, we're going to return to honoring something the Lord tells us to honor got a, a two a two part message starting next week and then we're and then we're done with the honor series we've been at this a while so we're almost done but today we're looking at another specific way another specific place that the lord tells us to honor let's look and see what these commands are proverbs chapter 3 honor the lord with your wealth that's a command a very specific way he says this is how i want you to honor me with your wealth wealth with the first fruits of all your produce second passage malachi 3 you are cursed with a curse well we don't like that word do we let's be honest we don't like the idea of god cursing especially when he's talking to believers you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me bring the full tithe into the storehouse and thereby put me to the test says the lord of hosts if i will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need And then Jesus in Matthew 22 says, render or give to God the things that are God's. And then lastly, our last passage, there's there's one line here that's from 2 Corinthians 8, 7, and the next line is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. See that you excel in this act of grace also. If you read the context of that entire chapter, the whole chapter is about giving. When it says excel, it's talking about giving. Excel at giving. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this, this issue of giving, folks, this is, a, this is just, practically speaking, it's, it's a tough one. I think probably tougher than any command in Scripture. Now, when I say that, that sounds odd, doesn't it? I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that people struggle with and, are, and, are, and have a difficulty with. But you know what? I might have a set of, of problems that I struggle with in certain verses, and you've got a, a, a set of problems. But, but money seems to just almost cover the board. It just seems to be almost a, a, a universal, universal issue for people. And, and folks, you know what? It's not about bills. And it's not about your financial status. There, there might be some reality to that. I'm not saying there's no truth to that. I'm just saying statistically, we don't give because of what we have or don't have. Okay, okay, people don't give because they get more. They don't give when they get out of financial trouble. It is a heart issue long before it's ever an issue of our balance. So so why is this command? I can talk about almost anything in the Bible, but this one brings up a, I mean, is a wall of defensiveness a right word? It it just brings up a tenseness. Why is that? You know, I I think maybe we, we struggle with reconciling giving in our heart for, for a couple of reasons. For one, God doesn't need it, does he? No, I do need it, don't I? Yes. And so, you know, why does somebody who needs something give it to somebody 
Who doesn't? It's not that we don't love God. It's not that we're not following God, believing God, but, but he doesn't need it. And, and I do. And so we just can't quite reconcile. Why, why are we giving it to God? And then, of course, maybe we struggle a little bit with, with where we give it. Because we don't hand it to angels and they fly off to heaven with it, right? No, we, we, we give it to a church. And that, for some, can bring in a lot of issues. You know, are they doing with it what I would do with it? Do I trust the way they manage it? Do I trust the way they handle it? Do I trust the pastor or the finance committee? Their motives? What are they real? What's their real angle? You know, we just introduce all these issues. Now, now my goal this morning is not to answer all those issues. It's just to say, I think in a very real way, there's these kinds of thoughts flying around our head and we just can't really reconcile them. And so it just doesn't seem that giving should be that necessary. And then if you add to that actual financial hardship, well, then it goes from not being necessary to just it ain't going to happen. But we're forgetting something. After we deal with the bills and what the church is trying to do and what the church is trying to, we're forgetting something. We're trying to engage God in a promise, right? Do, do you want to honor the Lord? Or more specifically, because God is the one who makes it more specific, do you want the Lord to honor your finances? Do you want God to bless your money? I mean, we have a, a very direct command here. Honor me with your wealth. Honor me with the money that you have. Honor me with that. Remember what the word means Show value, show significance, show how you value me, show the significance of me in your life with your money. And it even tells you how to do that. Do it with first fruits. Now that's an agricultural term. It's not a term that you and I would, would use a lot, but it, it's very simply the idea when you go out to harvest, the first part of the harvest would go to the Lord. Probably a simple way to think of it is you, you've got 10 fields that you're getting ready to harvest. You harvest the first field. That first field, the entire harvest goes to God. Now, there's a, real, there's a real step. If you're a farmer, there's a real step of faith in doing that. So you harvest the first field. All the profit of that goes to the Lord. Then you return to get the other nine fields, right? What if there was a storm last night and hail wiped it out? What if bugs came in and, and got to one of the fields before you got... This? Oh, man, I wish I hadn't given that first field away, right? Says, God says, yeah, that's the giving that honors me. You give to me first, and then you trust me for what happens with the rest of it. We, we honor the Lord first. Giving that honor the Lord isn't an afterthought. It's not a, what, what, what do I have with me today thought. Giving that honors the Lord puts him first, and then everything else, the rest of the budget, the rest of the wants and needs, adjust with what is left. And, and, and folks, it's not just about engaging God in a promise. It's not just about getting his honor. It's also about holding at bay a curse. Here again, I don't think we like thinking, well, God wouldn't curse my finances, would he? Well, I mean, let's think about that. Is God cursing or did we bring the curse? You see, folks, he says, listen, when you're not giving me the tithe, the tithe is an actual Hebrew word. It means 10%. When you don't give the tithe, you're robbing me. Well, folks, God's not going to bless a practice of stealing. God's not going to bless a practice of robbing him. So something that is minus his presence, something that is minus his blessing is what? The only thing left is curse. 
we actually ask God to leave our finances when we steal from them. And so then all we are left with is then the, the, the curse. And, and again, like I said last week, I think sometimes we picture God looking over heaven, waiting to catch us and waiting to punish us. God isn't saying, you, you, you miss a penny, you watch me come after you. You miss a dollar, you watch me bring down the curse. No, he's saying, hey, listen, you're, you are bringing curse into your finances. I want to bless you. Man, did you hear him pleading with you? Trust me. Please trust me with this. Watch what I... He's wanting to bring the blessing. We hold on to the curse. Because perhaps there's not trust there. And Jesus follows that up in Matthew 22. And he, he says, give to God the things that are God's. That you've heard me preach on this before. That, that phrase demands the question, well, what's God's? If I've got something in my hand and Jesus is telling me some portion of that belongs to God and I don't want to steal from him, I don't want to, well, Lord, which portion belongs to you? How much is yours? The only way to answer that question would be with the word, the tithe. Now, there are those, in fairness to interpretation, that would say tithing is not a New Testament concept. Tithing is, we're not under the law. The, the tithing was given to us in the law. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Praise the Lord, right? We're, we're under grace now. We're not under law, so the, the tithe is not there. But in my mind, they forget that tithing was introduced before the law. Tithing is a principle suggested, presented outside of the law. Then I hear Jesus bringing it up here. He didn't use the word tithe because he knew everybody in his audience that day knew what belonged to God. He he didn't have to say the word. It, it, It was obvious. But then we go to a passage like I finished with there just a moment ago in 2 Corinthians 9 that said, hey, you choose. Hey, you decide in your heart what you can give to the Lord. Decide and, and, and be cheerful. Be excited about it, right? Well, no, say, doesn't that verse open up kind of a sense of freedom? That, that we're not under a, a word like tithe anymore? Well, quite possibly, but to, to fully interpret the word or to that verse, remember, you always read the context. Man, so often when I'm preaching, I put up here a verse... But folks, I encourage you, I try to say this periodically, don't ever take my word what I've done with a verse. You can lift almost any verse out and make it sound like what you want it to by itself. Always go home and read the context. Read the verses that happen all around that one verse that I put up here. Well, when you take 2 Corinthians 9, 7 that says, hey, hey, determine what in your heart you can give and, and give cheerfully. Well, what's gone on around that verse? Well, in chapter 8, chapter 8 and 9 are all about giving. And, and Paul stops there and says, hey, man, let me tell you about the Macedonians. The Macedonians were a people that were just dirt poor. They were impoverished. As a matter of fact, it was worse than being poor. They were living during a time of famine. I mean, these people were just barely living hand to mouth. And they took up this offering, not for their church, for another church that was struggling. And Paul's like, you can't take up, the, the, you, you guys have nothing. And he points to their example of how in their poverty they gave abundantly. Then he, he turns and looks at Jesus at the beginning of chapter 9 and says, hey, look at what Jesus did. He became, he became poor so that you and I could become rich. And so he points us to the cross. So yes, absolutely, the scripture says, hey, you determine, you choose what you can give cheerfully. But as you do that, look at what Jesus did on the cross. 
Let that be your model. Let that be your example. I always kind of laugh when people say, the New Testament doesn't use the word tithe. Yeah, but, but every single example of giving is a percentage that would make the tithe sound really wonderful. <laughs> Jesus talks about people giving everything. The Zacchaeus who gave 50%. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 point to examples of people who gave everything. The tithe doesn't sound that bad. So yes, there's this, there's this you choose you know, folks, the scripture is so very clear. For the way we struggle with this, the scripture is absolutely very, very clear. It's clear on the how, it's, it's clear on the what, but I still haven't, still haven't reconciled that issue of, yeah, but he doesn't need it. And, and I do. There, there's the why behind it. In, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is talking about giving. Excuse me, he's just talking about money in general. And he's talking about our relationship with money and the impact that money has on our lives. And when you look at all of the issues that he's bringing up, you find that that giving is the solution to every single issue that he's dealing with. And, And I think in this, folks, we have, why is God asking for money when he doesn't need it? Why is he making this an issue? Why is he making this a specific way to honor him? And I think you have Jesus explaining that. Giving shows us we value God. Remember, that's what honoring is all about, right? It's showing that his value in my life, showing his significance in my life. Giving shows we value God over money. Giving shows we trust God. Because, folks, money's our power. Money's our strength. Money is our ability to do what we do in this world. If, if I'm giving it away, then I have less power. I have less ability. I have less strength. So now I'm forced to trust in something other than that, than that money. Giving shows we trust God over money. And then lastly, giving shows we bow to God never. Oh, I pray so, right? Never money. Now, folks, what's interesting about these three points, while Jesus is talking about money, the truth is you can take the word money out of all three of these lines and plug in all kinds of words. Because there's all kinds of things we can struggle with valuing more than God. There's all kinds of things we trust in over God. There's things, people, ideas that we worship over and above God. You, you can, it's not just a money issue. But as I said a moment ago, it seems like money's almost of the universal. While you can, while you can plug different words in and out here, money just seems to be a universal across space, across time, across cultures for all people. And so I almost felt like God is saying, hey, listen, I don't need it, but let's just, let's just put it on the table. This is the issue. I think maybe God looks at money as maybe, it, I don't know if this is quite the right language to use, the number one competitor for our heart. I mean, it just is. In our lives, money's going to be the number one competitor for our faith, for our trust, for what we value, for, for what we worship. And so God says, let's just go there. Let's just do this. And, and he puts it out there as a way to honor him. And, and, and you know, folks, we're, we're going to hear that. And we're going to say, no, I am going to value you. I am going to trust you. I am going to build a, a, a discipline, a systematic way of, of worshiping and, and giving. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to experience your blessing. Or, or we're going to say no. And folks, the absence of God, the absence of his blessing only leaves one thing for our finances. And, and, and that's his curse. It seems so obvious and yet it's, 
It, it doesn't become obvious for a lot of us. It just becomes a, a battle in our heart. You know, I, I think back, if you, if you read about the Macedonians in the first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and Paul says to him, how can you, how can you give this? You, don't, you, you can't feed yourselves. How are, you, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And their answer is, we, we've already given our lives to Christ. If I've given the whole of me to God, well, then what difference does it make if a piece of that whole goes to God? If, if we've given the whole. When, when I look at their example, when I look at their answer as to how they were able to give, it, it made me wonder, is, is giving some evidence that I indeed have given my whole life to God? Now, I don't think by itself it means you're saved. I don't think by itself it means you've, you've given your life to God. But it, if I look at the Macedonians, it certainly can be evidence that that has happened. I've given my whole life. What's money? And, and would the opposite be true? If I say I've given my life to God and I've, I've got all these places I say I'm living for him, but, but that number one competitor to him... That I still get defensive about. That I still struggle with. That I, that I still hold on to. Would that be reason to question? Have I, have I really given my life to God? I mean, if, if the only places I can experience that is, is where it doesn't get into what I want to hold on to, then have I, have I really given? You know, folks, it, it's interesting. When, when God combines giving and honoring going together. You know, think of, uh, can, can, you, can you honor the Lord without giving something that means something to you? Do you understand that question? Maybe, maybe, maybe gift giving is a way to think of that. I would imagine a lot of us in here have gotten a gift from somebody, I hope you have, that you knew that gift, that cost a lot. And I don't necessarily mean dollar tag. A price sign on that but it, it was something of great value it was something that was important to them it was something that maybe involved sacrifice and they gave you that very meaningful gift have you have you gotten one like that and it's it's i don't know about y'all it's a little bit humbling isn't it when you see somebody express that kind of love express that kind of uh, of blessing to you that they would honor you show the value of you and like man it's, it's humbling when you get a, a gift like that of course there's other kinds of gifts we get too i think at christmas time we call it regifting, right yeah i mean have you ever gotten a gift and the answer is yes that somebody gave you something and that gift really didn't mean anything at all it it, it that doesn't mean like hand-me-downs Okay, I can take a hand-me-down. That doesn't mean I don't value it. That doesn't mean I can't use it. That doesn't mean it, it doesn't end up being good for me. But it's not the same, is it? When you know that you've received something that they didn't want, that, that they didn't care about, that, that was left over to them, well, that doesn't have the same power to honor, does it? You see, folks, if we're talking about honoring the Lord, it, it, if it's what's left over... If it's what I don't care about, if, if it's what I don't mind parting with, then it doesn't honor. Might, might be nice, might be kind to do, but it, it doesn't honor. It's when, we've, it's when we've moved into what is important, to, to what involves sacrifice, to what actually means something to me. That's when there's the power to really honor. And there's no way to really do it according to the Macedonians if you haven't first given the whole of your life. 
See, money becomes a place where we can really measure what is happening in my life and how much is the Lord a part of that. Let's pray. Father, I I know that this is a room, this is a theater that is full of people who want to know your honor, who want to know your blessing. And Lord, you know I didn't plan on, on going in all these places I went this morning, but I even think about your grace. We, we don't buy grace. We don't buy a promise from you. We don't buy a chance to be heard in prayer. Everything we have is from you. How can I buy something from you when I don't have anything that's not yours? Not 10% of it is yours. 100% of it is yours. We simply acknowledge our faith in that, our belief in that, by returning the tithe, by returning that 10%. Lord, let us see that the teaching on this is not about you trying to empty our account and see if we still love you. You're trying to bless. You're trying to honor our finances. But you can't honor what shows no faith. You can't honor what steals. Lord, I pray you would guide us in thinking through where we go and what we do and how we think about honoring you in this area. Lord, we want to trust you. We want to show the value of you in our lives. Oh, we want to worship you above all else with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength and our mind. Lord, help us to see what tool, what role money plays in that so that we're found faithful a good manager of all that you've given. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.